0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is A to Z with Mark Zeno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you it's time to redefine some words. Welcome in. We are live here on this Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for making A to Z and Locked On Sports part of your daily listen right here in Atlanta. A lot to get to today. Now just a little more than twenty-four hours away from the NFL Draft, of course we'll speak with D. Orlando Ledbetter of the AJC on the Falcons' plans going forward as the media. Got a chance to meet with Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith yesterday, and so we'll talk a little bit more about that going forward as well. I stumbled on a question today, and I don't know that I have the answer to. It's not sports-related, but I want to share it with you guys. We'll do that before the end of the show. But we must start with the Atlanta Hawks and uh, their elimination last night from the NBA playoffs at the hands of the Miami Heat, another stellar defensive performance from the Heat, another lackluster performance from Trey Young, and the Hawks went from Eastern Conference finals a year ago to first round exit this year. And there are a lot of people expressing a lot of disappointment. And, and I think that's a fair word to use. I think it's disappointing that they got bounced in the first round. I think it's disappointing that they could only get an eight seed. I think it's disappointing that they had to be in the play in tournament. I think all those things are fair to say. Uh, I also think it's fair to put them in context. You know, again, they lost their second best player for, you know, let's say a third of the season when it was all said and done with the amount of games that Johns Collins missed. Uh and you know, there was a a COVID stretch for the Hawks this year where they had guys, and you know, Trey walked into the locker room. So I have no idea who these guys are. I mean, all those things are fair contest, but in the big picture, it is disappointing. Now, um, and I've sort of alluded toward this over the past week, kind of feeling like this was coming. And now that it is officially here and we can start the offseason discussions, um, I want to have one more conversation about sort of where we are right now that the season is officially over. And I think we need to redefine some words that are bandied about with the Hawks a lot and make sure we understand clearly what we're talking about. Let's start with the word star in reference to Trey Young. Trey... Is a star in Atlanta. Trey is a budding star in the NBA. Trey is not a superstar yet. Uh, Trey is somebody that has to learn how to elevate a little more and elevate players around him. You know, you got to play like a star. And there are times when Trey has. It didn't happen in this series, uh, not at all. Uh, Trey had one big moment the floater in the lane but other than that it was a, not a typical Trey Young series or any game per se and you got to play like a star and it's not just about points right it's not just about making the shots that you need to make and and being a guy who everybody counts on to carry the team right because Kevin Durant is a super superstar and uh, guess what? Yeah, He didn't have any good games against Boston either. But that's not what it's about, right? Because sometimes you have to – not only do you have to play like a star, but you got to act like a star. And acting like a star means realizing what is going on around you and making other players better. You know, I talked to a former NBA player who told me that Trey Young isn't going to be able to score in this series – and if he's smart, and if he realizes what he's supposed to do, he should have at least, on the low side, eight assists a night. Maybe probably even 10. Now, Trey's a guy that averaged 10 assists a game during the year. You know how many assists Trey average per game in this series, guys? Six. If Trey isn't open, and if shots aren't falling, what is Trey's job as the star? Make somebody else better. Did that happen in this series? No, it didn't. You know, and and, and that is on his shoulders. You know, Le- LeBron transitioned to that, right? I like get a point in his career where LeBron was actually accused of passing too much because he wanted to get other guys involved, because he wanted to make other players better, because he wanted those guys early on to feel like they were in the game. And it wasn't just Trey and everybody else, or in that case, LeBron and everybody else. It was a whole team. Trey didn't do that in this series. He didn't didn't have double-digit assists once in this series. So did Trey act like a star in that moment? No, probably not. Now, another time where Trey didn't act like a star was on the final play last night. And Chris Kirshner of The Athletic detailed this perfectly. And I'm going to read it to you verbatim because he deserves all the credit for writing this uh, and, and, and painting this picture. That it was, a three was needed to tie the game. And the Hawks had called a timeout. And Trey Young was 0-5 from three. And Nate McMillan got in the huddle and drew up a play. And the first option of the play was for Trey Young. And here's what Chris Kirshner writes. McMillan said Young, who finished 0, who finished the game 0-5 from three, was the first option in the play he drew up. What makes that interesting is that while McMillan drew on his dry race board, Young wasn't even involved in the huddle. He sat on the bench and stared directly ahead, away from McMillan, as John Collins and Danilo Gallinari blocked his view of the huddle. When they broke as a team, Young was already walking toward the court. What then transpired was about the worst end-of-game play you'll see, considering the stakes. For someone who was supposedly the number one option in the play, Young didn't break free for the ball. He ran into Onyeka Okongwu's back and then backpedaled away from Deron Light, who inbounded the ball. When Wright passed to Gallinari, who was trapped in the corner, Young did not attempt to break toward Gallinari, In the hope he'd throw a wraparound pass, instead, Gallinari tried passing the ball toward the paint when they needed a three and the ball was stolen. The Hawks didn't get off a final shot to save their season. It's excellent writing by Chris Kirshner, and it describes it perfectly. you got to act like a star in those moments, man. I don't know what to tell you. You have to act like you want that ball more than anything on earth, and you didn't do it. You didn't do it. The way Chris Kirshner tells it, and he was there, he was courtside, didn't happen. So maybe we need to start redefining the idea that Trey Young is a star and he's got to accept that criticism until things change. That's fair. I'm not saying the Hawks need to get rid of him. I'm not saying that, that he's not going to be the guy to carry this team forward. What I am saying is that if you want to be a star, you got to accept everything that comes with it, including the crit- the criticism. Another word I think we need to redefine is about the Hawks future and calling it bright. Well, I had another Atlanta media member say that the Hawks' future is bright. Okay. Uh, I tend to wonder what your definition of the word bright is. Because if by saying the Hawks' future is bright, uh, you are meaning bright means be a fun team, win a lot of games, have a great time at the arena, make the playoffs, play some interesting playoff games, and ultimately get eliminated. Then yes. The Hawks' future is very bright because that's what they are. That's what bright means by currently saying the Hawks' future is bright. Now, when you say the Hawks' future is bright to me, you're telling me that they are close to a championship. That's not where this team is. That, that's not the definition of bright. They are, that, that is not Their future is not bright if you're talking about them winning a title because, as I've said, objectively, they're the sixth best team in the East objectively, they do not have a championship roster. And while we're here, let's define championship roster. I mean, you could argue the Nets with KD and Kyrie have more of a championship roster than the Hawks. Why? Because they have KD and Kyrie. It's Trey and who? Who's the other guy for Trey? Is John Collins really the... The Kyrie Irving in that analogy of Trey is supposed to be KD. Because I would tell you Trey is probably more closer to to Kyrie than anything else. I don't think Trey is close to KD. Trey might have to be the Robin, not the Batman. And that's something you have to start to recognize. That this roster has holes. This roster isn't a championship roster. It is flawed and it needs to get better. I think that's fair. You you can't sit here look me in the eye and tell me you don't think that that's fair. It is. Trey might have to be the Robin. And, and Travis Schlenk may have to realize that. Because it's not John Collins, let, let take John Collins, put him on the Minnesota Timberwolves right now. He's the number three option by the Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. He's a third guy. You got is it unfair to say you got a two and a three instead of a one and a two with Trey and, and John? Are the Hawks still missing a one? What is clear? is that you can't run it back with this same roster. Heck, even Arthur Smith said it yesterday. (laughs) He wasn't talking about the Hawks, but he was just talking about roster construction. And I'll read the quote that he told the media yesterday. Quote, I don't think you're ever all set. If you think you're going to continue and run it, I'm sorry, he says, even if you win a Super Bowl, if you think you're going to continue and run it back, that's not a great strategy. He's 100% right. You don't ever just run it back. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers tried to run it back. What happened? They came up short. You can't just run it back. You can't run this team back out there and expect them to win. It's not going to happen. So we need to redefine some words for the Atlanta Hawks and figure out how this team gets better. And then, of course, I'll ask the last question. And I asked it yesterday and I told you I wasn't ready to answer it. I asked it last week. I said we weren't ready to answer it. Now that the series is over, I think we need to start figuring out the answer. Is Nate McMillan the guy? You have to tell me. I I, I don't a hundred percent know. But I saw a man get visibly and wildly outcoached. Wildly outcoached throughout that entire series and made exactly zero adjustments had zero feel for game situation had zero feel for how to stop momentum he got out coached and so if you don't really have a star and your future isn't bright and your roster construction isn't there and your head coach is outmatched how close are you Maybe I'm being oversensitive right now. Maybe I'm analyzing it too much, but kind of feels that's where we are, objectively. I could be wrong, and I'm open to hearing a difference of opinion from anybody. Hit me up on Twitter, at Mark Zeno. I'm open to hearing a difference of opinion, but I would love for somebody to tell me where I'm wrong in any of those assessments. All right, coming up next, uh, speaking of wrong, let's hope the Falcons won't be. Let's hope they get it right. As I've said repeatedly, please just make this easy on them. Terry Fontenot, Arthur Smith, met with the media yesterday, and we're one day away from the draft deal. Lander Ledbetter, the AJC, will join us next right here on A to Z, on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back in to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, wherever you get your podcast search, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Of course, give us a follow on Twitter, at Locked On ATL. Of course, you can follow me, at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. We are a little less than 24 hours away. From or a little more rather than from the NFL draft, a little more than 24 hours away from the NFL draft. And yesterday, Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith met with the Atlanta media as we get set for the Falcons picking at number eight overall. And here to join me from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, I get to call him colleague and neighbor because we live down the block from each other. Uh, it is D. Orlando Ledbetter of the AJC. D. Led, always great to talk to you. Thanks for being here, man.
1: Hey, sure, Mark. Thanks for having me on A to Z. Appreciate the uh, opportunity.
0: Always, always, and it's always great. You know, every just give a little peel behind the curtains. You know, every now and then, D Led's out there, taking his walk at night, his stroll, getting his exercise in. And I see him outside, so uh, we pass, we stop, we talk, we talk shop here and there, and uh, of course, we talk the uh, the Concord Walk Neighborhood Association, which is always always an interesting topic, to say the least. I kid, but nonetheless, uh, Terry Fontenot, Arthur Smith met with the media yesterday. Major takeaways from you? It felt pretty cookie cutter, but. Uh, As we head into the draft tomorrow night, do you feel like you gleaned any sense of where they are?
1: Uh, Yeah, I did. Um, Mark, you know, I've been to enough of these. They slip up a little bit from time to time. And, uh, you know, they're where I thought they would be. Um, Sitting at eight, they don't kind of know where where it's going to go, but they got a group of five guys on their cluster that, you know, that they could be there. If somebody messes up and one of them falls to them, they're going to stumble over themselves and get up to the board. But, you know, the worst case scenario is, you know, they get the best player in the draft. And, you know, the best case scenario is you might get the fourth best player in the draft or the third or the fifth, depending on how you have them ranked. Uh, So uh, they are in a pretty good spot. And I kind of sensed that from Terry. I hung out with him uh, in his hometown when he first got the job here and. He's a black coffee guy. He's feeling pretty good when he's got his black coffee with him. And he, you know, that little cup he had with him had some black coffee in it yesterday. So uh, I kind of felt that, yeah, they weren't trying to tell us much, you know, and they're, they're rookies at this. um, But, you know, they did kind of give us a good sense of the direction of where the Falcons are going right now.
0: Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about uh, the difference between last year and this year. You know, they get the job, they've really only got what 45 days you know 60 days to get ready for the draft this year they've had a full off season do you get a sense that they've done anything different to prepare for the draft
1: yeah I do they brought in uh you know Kyle Smith's his main guy that's his lieutenant then he brought in his boss basically Ryan Pace who was his boss in New Orleans and um you know you've seen the the uh, influence that he's had with how many Chicago Bears have been signed and how many Tennessee, former Tennessee Titans have been signed. Because this is going to be a make-good year for a lot of people. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, having those people do come in to give him a new voice is something that, um, you know, should help Terry in his second year of drafting.
0: All right, D-Lead. Uh I saw the list of five names that you had. Uh, in your latest column in the AJC and only one of them would really ideally bother me. Uh, and that's Chris Olave. I- I've said repeatedly, I'm sorry, uh, Garrett Wilson, rather. Uh, I've said repeatedly that that I am not in any size, way, shape, or form. My tolerance for a wide receiver is zero. Uh, and-, and I understand, I think they're right. They need depth at every position, right? There's, there's Terry Fontenelle said it yesterday. There's no position that we could say, Hey, we're set at. That's fair. But I just have a hard time believing that that would be a priority given where they are and the other holes that are there, and given the fact that they don't have an offensive line, a running game, or really a competent quarterback to throw the football to the second consecutive pass-catching target that they would take in the first round.
1: Yeah, I understand that, and I've, I've come around too because I was on the Garrett Wilson camp too. I mean, the 4-3-8 just kind of freaks me out, and I could see him, uh, you know, zooming down the field like Tariq Hill you know, everybody's rushing up to check Kyle Pitts, and but I don't know who's gonna be throwing it to him. But yeah, so that kind of uh, got me uh, excited about this uh, young man being the pick. But when you do your, you know, a little bit more work, keep digging, you realize that hey, it's like twelve wide receivers that could be wide receiver one um, in this draft. So um, you know, you can get a wide receiver at forty three and fifty one, and maybe in the third. So, uh Garrett Wilson's a good college wide receiver. He was highly productive at Ohio State the whole three whole time and um you know, had a big breakout year last year. So he's gonna be a fine player. but I think the tackles will be if the tackles and the ends are gone and South Gardner's gone, I mean then you can you can you can look at Kyle Hamilton. I know uh, Mike uh, Rothstein from ESPN has got Hamilton, but I know Kyle yeah. Hamilton one of my kids uh uh you know coached and uh uh you know and and you know sent them over to murphy Candler and in maris and you know i know uh folks doug jackson and his mom jackie they think they're going 10th or 11th and uh not slipping past 14 uh to the ravens because you know they know the 47 was was not very good and well they don't think the falcons are going to draft them because you know they just say hey they're not going to take them huh and Kyle is uh, like, you know, he he's fine with that. He would say he said it would be pretty cool to be here, but you know, that would take him away from, you know, maybe, you know, seeing another city or growing up in another city. So, um, you know, I kind of don't think that's the way that they are going to go, but they could be smoke screening Kyle and his folks. So, what uh, if it breaks like that? The tackles are gone, the rushers are gone, Sauce gardeners has gone. Then you got to bind, then you could look at wide receiver. Then you could, uh, you know, the next pass rusher is you know, Buffet. Uh, uh, uh so I don't think you want to take him uh, at eight. Uh, do you trade back and go back and get Nate Davis? I mean, not yeah, Jordan Davis. I don't know why I want to keep calling him Nate Davis, Jordan <laughs> Davis from Georgia, but uh, yeah, I would trade back and get Jordan Davis and get the biggest lineman, uh, the Linderbaum kid, uh, you know, wherever you get. There's plenty of time to be had here in Atlanta. So I would get as many picks as I could if, you know, I got a good offer to trade back at.
0: Okay. You left one thing out there in all those, you know, scenarios. If the three top DNs go, and that's Walker, Hutchinson, Thibodeau, and the three top offensive linemen go, and that's Neal, Ekwangwu, and Charles Cross. And Sauce Gardner goes. That's seven. Now, um, theoretically, you know, I, I still think Derek Stingley's actually going ahead of Ahmad Gardner. That's just my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. But if they don't want corner, the next obvious thing, if all those guys are gone, at least to the average Falcons fan, would be take Malik Willis.
1: Yeah, I thought you were going uh, Jermaine Johnson. <laughs> well, I, yes, again, and he's and I he's another you were option, going Jermaine right? Jones. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you know, we know well, let's let's address Willis, uh elephant okay. in the room. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Uh, you know, Caroline doesn't take him, he's gonna be there. Okay. Uh he's uh, you know, uh six foot, a little bit of over six foot. Um, you know, Arthur Smith said accuracy, decision making, pocket presence, uh are all uh important things to evaluate before you even get to the arm. Okay. He's not very accurate. He's got pocket presence. Um, he's got pocket feel, and he's got a dynamite arm. I think the accuracy knocks him out because you can't coach that. They don't think you can fix accuracy. Um, I haven't watched a lot of a Liberty tape. I saw him at the Senior Bowl and looked mighty fine throwing the ball to me. But if he's got the, I'm not. He's not accurate. Deal on him. You can't fix that. You can't teach somebody to throw the ball accurately unless you're throwing this. You can't teach them to throw the spots. Everything's going to be a, a gamble. So if they're saying that about accuracy, that's a smack on Malik Willis. And that's going to lead him to go in this scenario to Seattle at nine. And, you know, if if, if Seattle doesn't like him, then he goes to Pittsburgh later on. So that's uh, – I don't see them taking Malik Willis um, at eight, or they doing a great job of hiding it. But, um, uh, yeah, that's going to be the elephant in the room. It's going to be some people pounding on the table uh, in Buckhead and Flowery Branch for Malik Willis, mostly in Buckhead, if you follow yeah. me. Yeah, sure I pick up what you're putting <laughs> the, down there. Yeah. The best yeah. football player is not going to be Malik Willis at eight. No. So you and, so that that's uh when they keep saying they're gonna take the best player. So if they don't do it, then we're gonna they're gonna get plastered. But I don't think I mean, they care about that. But yeah, that'll be that'll be an easy three days worth of columns. Uh <laughs> uh, uh killing them for for saying they're taking the best yeah. player when they when they didn't.
0: Don't lie, you're so hoping that happens. Uh it makes your job <laughs> a lot easier for the next week. Uh that I mean again, and let's just go over. I just don't see how wide receiver skips to the top. Uh, like you said, Jermaine Johnson would be there. Derek Stingley would be there. If one of those two goes ahead, that means, like, Sauce Gardner is there or uh, one of the defensive ends is there or Charles Cross is there, right? Or even, even uh, uh, Ekamikwanu or Evan Neal might slip to – I think offensive line is a great pick for this team. Like, I don't – I know it's not going to be sexy. It's not going to put butts in the seats at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. There's going to be a collective groan from the Falcons fans and doing it. But, dear Lord, to bookend tackles at this point for the future quarterback that you're going to end up getting that's going to take this team. And, oh, by the way, if you want to get rid of Jake Gardner, uh, Jake Gardner, dear Lord, Jake Matthews, in a year or two, you've got a guy that's already ready to slide over to left tackle and finding a right tackle is a heck of a lot easier. So it makes a ton of sense to take one. But I just don't know that, you know, like you said, the voice from Buckhead is going to really be applauding that move.
1: Yeah, but – you know, they, they got to make a decision on Caleb McGarry. They know they can't go forward with him, is my understanding. Right, and, he's not and, getting know, his fifth-year option. Yeah, he's not getting his fifth-year option. And they signed the German Effetti kid who's on his third team, so he's not the he's not the answer either. You know, um, they've given up 40 sacks, uh, year, at least 40 sacks in the last four years, and they schemed it up pretty good last year for half a season. Uh, and then folks started to, you know, figure out their passing routes. So um, you know, if Evan Neal slips through, cross slips through, uh, Icky's not gonna slip through. Uh, but there's one scenario where where cross or or, or neal gets slips through to eight, you gotta run to the podium. You gotta yes. actually like run to the podium yes, and 100%. turn that card in because now you got a right tackle that's eventually gonna be a left tackle. And um, you've won the lottery. You won the lottery if one of those guys are on the board. Uh, you know, that's your number one not going anywhere without an offensive line i don't know how the Bengals got to the super bowl but eventually you know when you know jamar case is running down the sidelines on that last play wide open yeah uh but my man doesn't have time because aaron Donald is just throwing the, the guard on the ground so so uh i don't know how they got to the super bowl with a line that bad but uh, and that's not going to happen a whole lot of times. They got a little luck. bit of luck.
0: A little bit of luck helps in some. Yeah, little on the other side of the field. Little uh, Ryan public.
1: Tannehill. Little yeah. Ryan Tannehill. And, and a little, little
0: mismanagement by Andy Reid and the yeah, Chiefs and yeah, defense. Little, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't have to get to it.
1: We're happy quick, for uh, my Cincinnati people, but yeah, yeah. that was uh, <laughs> that was pretty wild. Uh
0: if they do take a wide receiver. I still maintain that Drake London should be the first one off the board, and it should be him to the Falcons because he fits that big-bodied wide receiver that Arthur Smith loves so much.
1: Yeah, um, but what scares me, Mark, and his numbers look good, uh, is that you know they say he has a lot of contested catches. So that means he's not getting open. If he, he can't get open in college, I mean, he's not going to get open up here either. Yeah. So, and then eventually he's going to take on a lot of hits. How long is he going to last? uh you know uh are you gonna be able to throw him open or is he gonna be wide open because everybody's on Kyle Pitts uh you got to figure that out uh but yeah he's definitely a big receiver guy that's a AJ Brown clone I don't know if he's the eighth best player in the draft Uh, you might get you can get Burks later yeah same thing so so uh yeah, they got some tough decisions to make yeah. they the professionals. I, they they I hope it.
0: it's easy for them. I, I hope the obvious choices that's all I said is I hope the obvious choice is sitting there because the the amount of second guessing that this this organization has been subject to over the years has been a a little bit of a sore spot to say the least. D. Led, you're the best. Great to talk to you as always, brother. Stay well. I appreciate it.
1: All right, Mark. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, the Orlando Ledbetter of the AJC. Take a time out, wrap things up next here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast search, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, wherever you get your podcast search, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Certainly appreciate you guys uh, spending your Wednesday with us. We got uh, just a crazy amount of stuff here coming on in the next 24, 48 hours. Uh, Thank you so much for choosing to make A to Z and Locked On Sports Atlanta part of your daily sports listen. I'm going to go away from sports here because I just stumbled on something that I am just like, Mind blown over that I've never really had this. We've had so many like hot take debates over the years is a hot dog a sandwich? You know, um, food takes that are out there, uh, you know, uh, clothing takes, cereals, whatever it may be. And I, I stumbled on one courtesy of my good friend, Wes Blankenship. Um, and if you're an Atlanta person, you know Wes, he's an incredibly talented and creative character. Well, he is on a podcast with Marty Smith from ESPN, and I saw this on Twitter. And I saw the response and all, all the rest wrote, wrote was we have unearthed the next great debate. And I, I think this is actually legitimate. So I'm going to play you a real quick, a clip real quick from the Marty Smith podcast, West Blankenship is on it. And a man named Travis Rockhold West. Uh, I'm sorry. Marty is talking about Buffalo trace and Travis, this guy has Buffalo trace behind him in the background, but he's sitting in his kitchen doing the podcast. So he has the Buffalo trace in his kitchen just listen to marty smith's reaction they sell out so buffalo trace makes a whole bunch of different bourbons whole bunch of different bourbons There's travis of course has some behind him there in the kitchen i mean he's in his kitchen look at that guy golly we need to pray for him y'all let's have a just <laughs> lord thank you so much for this beautiful day I mean, that, that, that's really what happens. So he goes on to say a prayer, and it's all in, in, in sarcasm and satire. And Wes just responds to the video and says, it's time to get a bar cart or a shelf. Come on, man. And then another gentleman responds behind it and says, liquor cabinet, unless you have a full wet bar, it's uncouth to have liquor bottles where guests can see them. Beverage carts are for coffee or tea in the home. You don't live in an airplane. Sorry, those are the rules. I didn't make them. And I began to think, I'm like, wow, I've never thought of this debate before. I've never really given any thought to are you allowed to have liquor out in the open in your house? Like, what does that say about you? And what does it say about, you know, is it uncouth to do so? And and my general reaction was, and I wrote this on Twitter at Morgan. I was like, you know, I kind of just feel like it depends on the room, right? Like in a formal dining room to have like a liquor cart, I don't think is bad. Um, if it's in the kitchen and you're on the kitchen counter, it's kind of like the sign of an alcoholic, I think. Like, you know, hey, man, you shouldn't be reaching for milk and bourbon with the same two hands. <laughs> but I don't necessarily believe that all liquor needs to be in the cabinet. Like, I, I enjoy going into a home and seeing, like, a decanter with some liquor in. I think it's a great conversation piece. It's a great starter. Brings a, a, an air of elegance to the room, you know, like almost, you know, fine dining experience, if you will. And the, the guy, Roderick Bean on Twitter, and again, look at my Twitter account, at Mark Zoni says, my take is based on years of observation, 35 years in pest control business. I've literally been in thousands of homes of varying wealth over the years. Where the liquor is kept is a pretty solid indicator of old money versus new money and or society types versus non-society types. I'm mind blown. That's all like I got to say is I'm mind blown by this whole thing. I have I have no idea what to do with this debate. I think this thing could rage on forever. And I want to hear your thoughts. I mean, again, I guess I don't look down on people who have liquor out. I mean, listen, I love to drink. Uh, I'm not shy about it. Uh, But I have all my liquor in a liquor cabinet. I do have a decanter on top of my liquor cabinet, which sits in my dining room that I sometimes will fill with booze Um, just because it's readily available. Like, uh, I mean, heck, if you're going to Mad Men, right? You ever watch the show Mad Men? They had a liquor cart right in everybody's office. You know, some offices have liquor right there for you to drink i don't know it's easy access easy pour have a a nip have a sip knock yourself out i'm mind blown by this debate i don't know what to tell you guys i need to hear from you i need more i need to understand this great debate and and where it is i i think this is the next is a hot dog a sandwich kind of debate i honestly do this to me i'm just mind blown i can't get over why i've never really thought about this and i have friends i have a, a really good friend of mine who has his liquor cabinet like his kitchen and his dining room are adjoined. They're side by side, right? So if you're staring forward, the kitchen is on the left and then like the eating area is on the right. And in the back, technically outside of the kitchen in the dining area, he's got a liquor cart. Never thought it was uncouth. Never thought a big deal of it. I know a guy who's got a whole shelf full of bourbons in his like, you know, air, in his like den area. I, I never thought it was uncouth. But now that I think about it, I'm like, should you have all that kind of liquor hanging out there? I don't know. It's a great debate. I'll figure it out at some point in time. But I want to hear from you. Hit me up on Twitter, at Mark Zeno. <laughs> Figured I'd end the show on a little bit of a lighter note after everything we just went over uh, today with the Falcons and the Hawks. So uh, we will be back tomorrow. Get you ready for the NFL draft. Of course, uh, we got some Braves baseball to get to as well. Appreciate you guys stopping by listening to A to Z and making A to Z your first listen every day. Make your second listen ATL Day 1's with Jarvis Davis and Taditra Batiste. uh, Two friends from Atlanta talking Hawks, Falcons, Braves, Dogs, and all the like. Step into the conversation. Stay a while. ATL Day 1's part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. Again, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Thank you guys for watching and listening to A to Z right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. You guys have a great day. Don't take any crap from anybody. See ya.